If you don't have a Bible, grab one off the back there. We're going we're gonna to be in a couple different places tonight, um, but where you can turn in your Bible, where we'll camp out for a little bit, is in Matthew chapter 16. That's where we're going to end up tonight. So let me ask you guys a question. How many of you have faith? Show of hands. How many of you are listening right now? How many of you have faith? Everybody's hand in this room should be up. Because everybody in here has faith in something or someone. Tell me something you have faith in. The chair. As a lot of you have faith in the chair, okay? What else? Jacob. Okay, yeah, you have faith that this root is steady? What else? What do you have faith in? Erica. That what? That you'll be protected? Kirsten? That your car will work? Daniel? That's a lot of faith right there. All right, Conrad, what about you? Okay, God's plan for you in life. Every single one of us has faith in something. So tell me, what is faith? Many of you raised your hands. You said, I have faith. What is it? Conrad, what's faith? Okay, that's exactly what it is. It's a belief, it's a trust. If you go to the dictionary or go online and look it up, it actually defines it two different ways. It says it's an allegiance to a duty or a person, an obligation that you have. And the second definition just says complete trust. Every single one of us, we put faith in things every day. And it's easy, and you guys name some of those things. Faith that the chair is going to hold you up. Faith that the roof is structurally sound and it's not going to fall. Faith that when you stick your key in the ignition and turn it, that the car is going to start. It's easy for us to have faith in things because when it comes to things, they typically don't fail us unless there's just something catastrophically wrong. You know, eventually that car won't start because that battery is going to die, right? So what do you do? Get a new car? Who said that? Man, I suggest get a new battery first, a lot less expensive. But even if you're always going to have to keep fixing a car, I don't care how many new ones you get. But think about it this way. Even in the fact that you go get a new car or you go get a new battery, now you've placed your faith in those things. So you have faith in things, and it's easy to put our faith in things because those things don't often let us down. Here's one I want to caution you with. Many of you have faith that your phone is not actually spying on you when you're using it while you sit on the toilet. That's a lot of faith right there, okay? We have faith in things, and it's easy to have faith in things. Where we struggle sometimes is having faith in people, because people let us down, don't they? Now, when you're young, it's not always, I mean, it's not hard to have faith in people, especially, say, your parents. When you were little, it was easy for you to have faith in them. It was easy for you to trust them. I can think back to when Michaela, who's 10 now, she was about 18 months old one time, and we were swimming in a pool. And Michaela was absolutely loving the water. She wasn't old enough to swim. But we were in the shallow end, and she was on the top step, and she would hold my hand and just walk down each step one at a time. And she had faith that I was going to keep her from drowning. Now, I don't think she thought about it that way at a year and a half old, but at that point in time, she trusted that I was going to keep her above water or she wouldn't have taken my hand and stepped down those steps. 
And she had so much faith in me that one time she started walking before I grabbed her hand and she stepped right off that step and went face first into that water. And she could not swim yet. Now, luckily, I know I'm a horrible father. I missed her completely. But I picked her up. She was okay. She quit crying. She got back up on the step. And you know what she did? She held out her hand and was ready to do it again. Because she had total faith that even, even though I had failed her the one time, I wasn't going to fail her again. The problem is, as we start to get older, we start to become less trusting of people. People start to let us down. You've got a friend that stabs you in the back. You've, you've got somebody you told a secret to and they turn around and they told that to somebody else. Or maybe somebody lied to you. Or maybe you had faith in your parents that they were going to always be together and they're not anymore. And we learn as we grow older that people are flawed and that people make mistakes and people do bad things and it becomes harder and harder for us to have faith in people. And I think that's why some of us struggle with having faith in God. Because think about it this way. With things, we can see them, we can touch them, we can know that they're trustworthy. With people, we can still see them and we can trust them and we might have faith in them, but not quite as much faith. But with God, we don't see Him. We can't touch Him. The only things we know about God for a lot of us in here before we ever put our faith and trust in God is that that. that this book tells us about who he is, the Bible, or what the pastor or what our parents have told us about who God is supposed to be in our lives. And it's hard for us to actually put faith in God because we can't see him, we can't feel him, we can't hear his voice speaking to us. And yet when we go to his word, scripture tells us that we can trust him. Scripture tells us that we can have faith in Him. In fact, Scripture gives us a definition of what faith is. Does anybody know where that's found in the Bible? No clue. Okay. Anybody? Mr. John, do you know? Hebrews 11.1. 1. Hebrews 11.1 1 says this. It says, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. That's a very clear yet very vague definition, isn't it? It's the, it's the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. And because of a definition like that, sometimes that, that causes us to still struggle with having faith in God. Because just take that first part, that assurance of things hoped for. Let's, let's understand what assurance means. That means you have confidence in it. That means you have trust in it. That means you know that whatever is said is going to happen, it's going to happen. It's a confidence, it's a basic understanding, knowing for sure that what you have faith in is real. Think about it this way. You can have faith that the sun is going to come up tomorrow, right? I mean, you, you basically base your alarm clock and your school day on the fact that the sun is going to rise. You can have faith that if you leave milk in the fridge too long, what's going to happen to it? It's going to get sour and chunky. It's going to be nasty. You can have faith, you can, you can have confidence, you can have assurance that that's what's going to happen. Some of you can have faith that summer started for you today, because school's over. Some of you can have faith that summer starts next Friday or Wednesday or whenever your finals are over. It's these things that we know there's a guarantee they're going to happen, there's a certainty to it. And we have that certainty because past experience 
tells us that those things are true. You've been through a school year before. You know what happens when summer comes. Maybe you've left milk in the fridge for too long. You know what happens when you take that out and you open it and smell it and feel like you're going to puke all over the floor. Okay? We, we know what those things are because we've had those experiences. So when Scripture talks about faith in God, that's an assurance in Him that is grounded in truth. It's grounded in His Word. It's a knowledge that is grounded in the fact that Scripture tells us God is omnipotent and God is omniscient and God is all of these O words. That means He's all-powerful, all-knowing, omnipresent everywhere. Scripture tells us those things about God and we know that we can trust His Word. Therefore, we can trust those things to be true about God. And if we can trust His Word, then we can trust every part of it, and we can trust the parts where Scripture tells us that He knows every single one of us intimately. That He knows every aspect of our life. He knows what we hope for, what we dream for. He knows what we're scared of. He knows what we want to hide that we don't ever want people to find out about. He knows every single thing about us Because He created you. Because He loves you beyond measure. That's that's why Scripture tells us He sent His Son to die for you. To pay the price for the sin, the penalty for the things in your life and my life that don't honor God. We can know that from His Word. We can know that Jesus rose from the tomb after His death three days later and He beat death and he beats sin, we can know that God is who he says he is, that God has done what he said he's going to do, that this is not just a storybook that we read from. This is real. And this is true. Assurance of things hoped for. That the promises that God has put in Scripture, that those are true now just like they were true when it was written. We hope that God is who He says He is. We hope that He will do what He says He will do. We have an assurance based on the truth of God's Word. That's the first part of faith. That's what that looks like. And the second part of that, he says, the writer of Hebrews says, it's conviction of things not seen. A conviction. Somebody goes to a courtroom and they're convicted. What does that mean? They're found guilty. It means there's no doubt. They're guilty, period. They're going to jail. There's no question of it. Maybe. (laughs) But the conviction this is talking about here leaves no room for doubt. Leaves no room for question. You know beyond a shadow of a doubt who God is. You know without any question in your mind that the Word of God is true, that He is who He says He is, and He will do what He says He will do. That is the definition of faith that Scripture gives us. A confidence that God is who He says He is, and that He will do what He has promised to do. Assurance and conviction. And let's be honest, that sounds crazy to most people. That probably sounds crazy to some of us in here, because how can you live your life like that? Hoping that God's going to come through in the end. Hoping that God's going to do what He says He's going to do. And yet when we look at Scripture, we see person after person that lived their life in that manner and we know that God did keep His Word. 
If you continue to read through the book of Hebrews, we're not going to walk through all of it right now, but if you keep going through that chapter 11, you see example after example of real people that live their lives with verse 1 as the foundational principle. They had assurance and they had conviction. Noah. Noah built an ark. And it took him 140 years. All because God said, I'm going to send rain. 140 years before it actually happened. That's assurance. And that's conviction. Moses went to Pharaoh because God promised to use him to free Israel. And yet time and time again, Pharaoh said, no, no, no. But Moses had assurance and conviction and God worked. Joshua marched around the city of Jericho simply because God said, be strong, be courageous, go march around that city, I'm going to make the walls fall down. You know at some point, he probably felt a little bit stupid after walking around that city several times and nothing happened. And yet, he lived his life with assurance and conviction and God came through because God keeps his word. Abraham. Abraham left his home because God said, I'm going to give you a new home and I'm going to number your descendants greater than the numbers of the stars. So Abraham packed up and left because of assurance and conviction. Or Gideon, I like this one. Gideon took a group of soldiers and charged into an army camp where they were severely outnumbered because God said, if you will do what I'm telling you to do, I'm going to give you victory in the battle. In a situation that we would tactically, militarily look at and say, Gideon, you're a moron. You're going to die. And so is every man you take in there. And yet, assurance and conviction allowed him to have faith, and God gave the victory that he promised. For every single one of these individuals, they believed God, and they trusted his word. That's what he calls every single one of us to do. To know who God is. To know what his word says. To know that when it comes to faith, there's an object and a content to our faith. And for us as believers, as disciples, if you say you put your faith and trust in Jesus, the object of your faith is Jesus. And the content is what he's done. His death on the cross. His resurrection from the tomb. You need to understand that having faith should move you to doing something with that knowledge about who Jesus is and who God is. Faith is not something we say, yep, I believe that, and then never act on it again. Faith is actually doing some of that. In fact, there's many of us, we, uh, we take the knowledge approach to having faith in Jesus. And if you look at Matthew chapter 16, that's where I told you to turn in verse 13 through 17, we see a great example here of, of Jesus talking to the disciples. Now, Jesus and the disciples, they've been traveling around. Jesus has been teaching. He's been performing miracles. And I really hate that word, performing, but he's been working miracles. And he's been showing people that he is who he says he is. And in that teaching, Jesus asks a question in verse 13. He says this. Now, when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? He's looking, what's their knowledge? Verse 14, and they said, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. He said to them, 
but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father who is in heaven. So Jesus asks his disciples this question, who do people say I am? What's their knowledge? What's their understanding of me? And Simon, who, who usually speaks up because he's the vocal one in the group, talks about some say this and, and other people say this, but, but when you actually get to Peter's answer, it's, it's based on what other people are saying about Jesus. It's based on what other people have told them. And sometimes this is the approach we take to our own faith in Jesus. Maybe you've grown up around church. Maybe you've You've been in church since you were over in the nursery and you've kind of walked through and now you're getting ready to graduate or you're middle school, high school, and you've just been around it and you've always just kind of said, well, I have faith because of what my parents have taught me, because of what my grandparents have showed me. In fact, we, we kind of take the, the U.S. citizenship approach to this. Let me tell you what I mean by that. How many of you in here are U.S. citizens? Okay, good job. Did you have to do anything to earn your citizenship? Which you didn't do. Your mother did that. You didn't, did you? You're a citizen because your parents are citizens. You actually didn't have to do anything to earn that that privilege. And that's the way some of us approach faith in Jesus. We think, as I said, because we've grown up around it, because our parents are Christians, because they've taught me these things, I'm automatically a Christian. I have faith based on their faith. And what we don't realize is it doesn't work that way. In fact, there's there's people who every single day in this country are trying to obtain U.S. citizenship. And I want to challenge you here for a second. They have to take a test. And they have to ask, answer questions about this country. Questions that you, as American citizens, maybe should know about your own country. Questions that you've probably either never learned the answer to or you've forgotten it already. You want to take a little quiz? Okay. Question number one. What are the colors of our flag? Okay, all right, so some of them are pretty easy. How many stars are on the flag? What do the stars on the flag signify? How many stripes are on the flag? Y'all are doing pretty good. Who elects the President of the United States? Uh, the, the Electoral College actually does the final process. You ready? How many changes or amendments are there to the Constitution? Got one good answer. How many branches are there in the U.S. government? How many senators are there in the U.S. Congress? Who said six? You said six? What would you say? A hundred. That's right. Ready? For how long do we elect each senator? Six years. Ellis is going to nail these. How many... How many voting representatives are there in the House of Representatives? Can't get them all right. 435. 
We, we can talk about that later. <laughs> Which countries were our enemies during World War II? No, not all of them. There's, uh, there's three. What were they? Germany. Wait, 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 hold on, hold on. I got Germany. Germany, Italy, and Japan. Okay, all right. How many Supreme Court justices are there? Ha ha, yeah. There's nine right now, okay? <laughs> Why did the pilgrims come to America? Religious freedom. You ready? Which INS form is used to apply to become a, a naturalized citizen? Which, listen, which INS form is used to apply to become a naturalized citizen? What form is it? Anybody know? It is called Form N-400. Hey, hold on. That's a test question. How about this one? Name an amendment which guarantees or addresses voting rights. It's that 19 is one of them, but there's others. <laughs> you want me to tell them to you? I know, I'm giving you all information like right at the end of school, but here we go. It's the 15th, the 19th, the 24th, and the 26th. Now, hold on a second. You, you, guys, you guys showed something very telling through those questions. Some of them, you knew. Just like that. You didn't even have to think about it. just rolled off your tongue. Some of them, you were guessing. Some of them, you just didn't even try because you had no idea. Hey, Listen, we don't worry about those things because we're already citizens. And yet, that's the same approach that some people take to having faith in God. They think, I don't have to worry about dealing with it on my own because I've got my parents. They've taught me this stuff, so that their, their faith is good for me. So I can just kind of skirt by on what I already know and what they've taught me. And yet, when you look at what Jesus is saying here, when he asks these questions, he starts with, who do other people say that I am? And they give him all those answers, and then he zeroes in and he says, who do you say that I am? See, we can't base our faith off of who other people say Jesus is for us. We can't base our faith off of what our parents have told us or what the pastors have preached from the stage or the theology we've heard in the songs. We can't base our faith off of that. We've got to go to the question that Jesus asks right there. Who do you say that I am? You've got to base your faith off of your encounter and your relationship with Jesus Christ. Not off of what your parents have told you. Not off of what a pastor's told you. It's got to be your experience. It's got to be what's happened in your life. What has God done in and through you? Not everybody else. 
That's what Jesus is asking here when he asks this question. And, and if you're here tonight and you've never answered that question in your own life, you need to understand that real faith requires you to encounter Jesus yourself. Let that sink in for a second. Real faith requires you to encounter Jesus yourself. Not your friends, not your family, but you. And I know in a room this size with this many people, there's at least one, if not a few, people in here tonight. You've never encountered Jesus yourself. You've never come to that point where you've said, God, I'm a sinner. I can't be good enough. I can't fix myself to get to you. I need Jesus' death and resurrection. The penalty he paid, that bloodshed, pay for my sin. God, will you forgive me? I don't want to follow you with the rest of my life. I have no doubt there's some folks in here tonight that's never been your experience. You have faith in a lot of things. You may have faith in some people, but you don't have your own faith in God. So my question for you tonight is the same question that Jesus asked his disciples. Who do you say that Jesus is? What is your experience? And if you don't have an answer that is personal to you, you can change that tonight. You can have assurance and conviction based on the truth of who God's word says he is, based on the truth of the fact that he will do what he says he will do every single time that we can trust this no matter what we come up against in life. To have real faith, not just what everybody else has told us we're supposed to have. If you're in here tonight and you've never put your faith and your trust in God through Jesus Christ, I challenge you, don't walk out of here tonight without answering that question for yourself. And if you need to talk to somebody about that, I'm here. The other adults in the room are here. Please come talk to one of us because we would love to walk you through how this book says we can know that we have faith in a relationship with Jesus once and for all. And know that it's ours and it's real and it's personal. Don't walk out of here without answering that question in your life. Let's pray. God, we thank you. We thank you for who you are. We thank you for your word. God, we thank you that, God, that it, it doesn't matter what I get up here and say, God. Your word is your word, and it is true no matter what. Oh, God, I thank you for your son, Jesus, that because of him, we can know that you love us, that you care for us, God, that you want a relationship with each and every one of us. God, I pray right now for every person in this room, God. I pray that, that we'll take a moment when the music starts, when it's time to sing, and answer the question that Jesus posed to his disciples. Who do we say that you are as an individual? 
God, I pray that each person in this room has a true, real, assured, convicting faith in you. If there's somebody in here tonight that doesn't, don't walk out of here with that question in your mind. Come talk to one of these adults. Or if you don't feel comfortable talking, write it down on one of those prayer cards, drop it in this basket, and I'll follow up with you and we can talk about it. Don't walk out of here without answering that question in your life tonight. Who do you say to Jesus? God, we thank you for your son.